family and welcome to caregiving is a ministry where we look at the word of god through the lens of caregiving don't forget to follow me on facebook at caregiving is a ministry all one word today we're in the book of ephesians the letter written to the church in ephesus and so let's get started of course i'm reading from the new american standard bible and we'll start off with verses Um, Chapter 1, verses 15 through 19a. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may make you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in your offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. Chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is in other generations was not made known to mankind, as it has now been revealed in his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Chapter 13, I mean, um, verse 13 of chapter 3. Therefore, I ask you not to become discouraged by my tribulation on your behalf, since they are your glory. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 17 of chapter 4. So I say this and affirm in the Lord that you are to no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the fertility of their minds, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance of them, because of the hardness of their hearts. And then chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. That's a lot, right? But I'm trying to give you little snippets of what's going on in the um, chapter so that we know. Now, going back to last episode with the letter to the Philippians, do you understand why I'm like, oh, Philippians, he really loved those people. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was so joyous and jubilant. And this one, even though he does talk about the love that he has um, for them, how he, you know, thanks God and he never ceases praying for them, it just, it just doesn't feel the same. <laughs> the affection and everything just isn't the same with this church in Ephesus as it is with the Philippians. But even so, we have the same structure, the traditional structure that we've been um, noticing with his letters. He starts out by identifying himself, either a bond servant or an apostle. And then he expresses appreciation for them. You know, he he talks about God and, and, and what Christ has done for them. But then in this letter, then he kind of takes them down um, memory lane. And, and I had to ask the question, why does he do that? When you read it, you, you know, why is he, you know, reminding them that, you know, they too used to be, what did he call them, sons of disobedience, that they too used to live under the de- desires of their flesh. He didn't do that for the other letters that we've written so far, we've read so far. But he does this for them, I think, because they're new converts and I think he wants to remind them one just how far they come like you remember you used to do this you don't do it anymore and also so they won't do it anymore to continue to propel them if you can do better you used to be this way but now you've been called to something else you are now in Christ Jesus right and maybe to help them not get the big head you know, we all like to kind of forget our paths, you know, the skeletons in the closet, so to speak. But sometimes it's good for you to remember your humble beginnings, to keep you humble. Um, not that you need to use them to beat you up or everyone needs to know, but we all have a past. All of us do. And Paul is reminding them of their past to help them fully secure their future and to appreciate where they are now, to appreciate that they are no longer sons of disobedience, that they no longer are indulging in the desires of their flesh. flesh. But as he says, now walk according to which you've been called. So step and reach that higher calling. And then after he takes them down that road of memory lane and you know, then reminding them, he gets to the heart of the letter. And then he concludes the letter, once again, with encouragement. And he is sending the letter by way of, and I'm going to butcher it, Tychicus, we'll just say it like that, who will then provide them update on what has been going on with him. So that's kind of a synopsis. So based on all of that, and as you read, you know, Ephesians, what do you think the purpose of this letter is? Because to me, this isn't, it doesn't jump out at us as the other other letters did his true purpose but to me the purpose of this letter is reinforcing their commitment to God and I think that's why he takes them down memory lane it's like this is what you used to be but now this is what you've been called to do don't don't go back keep marching forward reinforcing who they're who they now are in Christ reminding them of their salvation through Christ and that now they are to be in unity 
in the body of Christ. And I think this theme of unity comes through all of the chapters, but you can see it also in chapter six, where he then addresses the structure of marriage and family. Now, what other body of believers did he have to address the family structure in? We've already covered it. Ding, ding, ding. The church in Colossae, where he talks about husbands and wives and children. Same thing. He does the same thing here. So this letter, in reinforcing who they are in Christ Jesus, Paul gives them uh, the analogy or the comparison, I guess you could say, of a warrior that they are warriors and that as a warrior they need to put on as we know the full armor of God dress don't leave the house naked put on love right remember your salvation remember your righteousness remember that don't go out the house forgetting who you are reinforcing once again who they now are in Christ and that's the purpose of this to reinforce that so that they will continue, they will learn to grow and walk in that. Um, From this letter, um, Paul identifies to me that there may have been some scrutiny still continuing within um, the Jerusalem folks of his ministry to the Gentiles. Um, That's chapter 3, verses 4 through 6 that I read for you, where it says, um, it kind of highlights an ongoing discussion with him and, and, you know, Peter and James and all of the original apostles back in Jerusalem, which we've already talked about, who were setting um, guidance and structure for the church bodies. And Paul was going out and he was planning churches, but they were still on the fence with the Gentiles being in the body of believers. And Paul is telling them, do not concern yourself with that. You concern yourself with walking in the way of the Lord. Paul is Paul says that mystery has now been made clear in Christ Jesus. Yes, Gentiles are to be accepted. Let's get over this. Let's move forward. Don't concern yourself with that anymore. And I don't know if the church of Ephesus, it probably has some Jewish people in that particular body of believers, but I still believe that the people in Ephesus were probably mostly Gentiles because I don't think he ever fully, um, I'm looking in my Bible now, I don't think he ever fully spoke to a total or had a total Jewish convert community. I think as he was going out in Asia Minor, most of his letters were addressed to the body of believers and they were mostly Gentiles. Yes, correct. So he doesn't want them to be concerned with the, you know, the flashpoints and all the stuff that he may be under attack of by you know, preaching the gospel to them. He's like, don't concern yourself with this. I consider it an honor. You concentrate on walking in the way of the Lord. Another thing that I want to highlight is that Paul used the word love numerous times um, to put the love of God, the love that God had for them so that then they could then love each other. 
because that goes back to the unity, right? Love of each other, then you're expounded upon, can be included to other believers as well as those in Jerusalem who were having a hard time with them. But just love, walk in love. And to me, out of this um, little book, little letter, I think our lessons are really simple. Paul, um, in his ongoing acceptance as a shepherd to the you know, churches in Asia Minor, he understands the need to consistently reinforce. Consistently reinforce what they've learned, what they've been saved, what he has taught them. And we need to be consistently reinforcing in ourselves and in others. He gave solid examples of the behavior that they are to imitate, right? And then he consistently places that before them. And what came to mind when I was reading this was the um, example that we have in Genesis. Mm, I don't want to lie. I think it's Genesis 30. Um, I think it's Genesis 30 verses 25 down where you have Jacob working for his father-in-law Laban and you know things are starting to get a little awry and he's wanting to separate and so he asks um, him to kind of divide the flock but Laban is a trickster just like Jacob is God is bringing him out of that but he's still kind of a trickster and so what he does is he tells Laban well give me all the speckled and spotted sheep remember that and so he does and and that's you know, that's considered a deformity. So they're not going to be many sheep that, you know, look like that. They, you know, they're not the white, pristine, you know, looking sheep. Are you the dark brown ones? They're speckled, so a little different. So once he gets those, but he's still breeding the other sheep for his father-in-law. Remember, he takes sticks and he cuts slits in them and to make the sticks look like speckled and spots. And then he places that before the um, livestock. And then what happens? They start breeding speckled and spotted offspring. Well, that's because they had an example of what they were supposed to be doing. And so sometimes it's not good enough for us to just merely tell someone what we want. We need to show them what we want. And it is in showing them, then they can be imitators, as he says, be imitators of God. And, and in order for us to show them, that means we have to walk the walk and talk the talk as well. If you want a loving relationship, you first must be loving. <laughs> You've got to be loving first, and then you articulate what it is that you, um, or how you receive love, but then you also freely give your love to the individuals that you would like love in return. You learn their love language, and so you do things to make them feel loved. You articulate to them what they need to do to make you feel loved, and it's an ongoing reciprocal type of relationship. But as we learned in the last episode, we do need to show and express our love for one another. Now we're taking it a step further. You need to love in order to do that. And so Paul consistently reinforcing to them, this is who you are now and this is what it looks like. This is the imitation that you should take on. I think that's, that's just great. 
a great lesson for all of us that we can use in every aspect of our lives. And then the second is to build up unity and love. Love has to be at the heart of your caregiving season. Otherwise, you're going to grow resentful and bitter. And that's not what God wants for you. I believe that in order for you to operate from love and in love, first you must learn how to receive God's unconditional love for you. And that can be hard at times because, I mean, you're just like, he loves me that much? And the answer is yes, but you've got to know that he loves you that much. And guess what? Not only does he love you, he likes you. His word says that he delights in us. That's you and me. And to me, that's just mind-blowing. That a God who hung the stars and created water and created me and created, you know, the whole ecosystem and the way our bodies function, all that kind of stuff, delights in me? (laughs) Have you seen how I look in the morning? You know, (laughs) he delights in me and he delights in you. And then after you, you've got all that down, you, you realize how much God loves you. Then you learn to love yourself. That can be key. Going back to what we, you know, discussed with Paul, you know, taking them down memory lane. We like to go down memory lane a little too much. You look back in memory lane just to realize, mm, yeah, I am unworthy. God is great. And because he's great and because he loves me, now I can walk on and I can... I can do what he's called me to do. I can love myself because he loved me. If you're looking down memory lane and it's still telling you that you are unlovable, something is wrong, that's the enemy. Sometimes the Holy Spirit may remind you of where you come from when you're getting a little bit beside yourself, but the Holy Spirit is never convicting you to where you're paralyzed to move forward in God and you don't realize who you are in God and you don't love yourself. So, First, you've got to understand and accept and receive God's love for you, his unconditional love, and know that he delights in you. Then two, you love yourself. And then after you do those two, then you're equipped, my dear caregiver, to be able to love others, and especially the person God has given you charge to care for during this season. So as we close, let's just remember that we all have a story We all have, you know, a place that we've come from, but now we're in Christ Jesus. We're new creatures. Let us be imitators of God. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for reminding us that sometimes it is good to look back and just realize just how far we come, but we can't stay there. Thank you for this lesson that tells us that we should be consistently reinforcing in others godly behavior. But in order to reinforce in them, we've got to be walking in that way as well. Help us to be able to receive your love and understand just how much you love us and that you like us. And then, Lord, for us to be able to love ourselves so that we can love others. We do want to be imitators of you, our Savior, Jesus Christ, but we need your help to do that. So I ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit convicts us in the gentle manner that he always does 
so that we can be worthy of the calling that you've called upon our lives. Bless the caregivers today. Help them feel your love and help them to know that they aren't alone. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Until we meet again, I will see you next time. Go and minister the act of caregiving in the name of Jesus. Bye. Thank you.